Now we're going to have some really special music by a lady that really doesn't need any introduction in this church. Last night I lay asleeping, there came a dream so fair. I stood in old Jerusalem beside the temple there. I heard the children singing, and ever as they sang, methought the voice of angels from heaven in answer. Beside the tideless sea, 
The light of God was on its streets. Its gates were open wide. And all who would might enter. And no one was denied. No need of moon or stars by night. No sun to shine by day. It was the new Jerusalem that would not pass away. It was the new Jerusalem that would not pass away. Jerusalem, sing for the night is have dry eyes after that, you've got a pretty hard heart. (laughs) Thank you, Ruthie. So today is the second Sunday of Easter. And this holy season that we're in builds on the good news that we celebrated last week, that our Lord Jesus, who was once dead, is now alive. And we read last week how the women who had gone out to the tomb in despair, returned now completely overwhelmed with joy because the Lord himself had appeared to them right on the road, right while they were on their way to tell the disciples about the resurrection. And they touched him, and they worshipped him. But they're still so confused, they still have so many questions. And they didn't yet fully understand that they were being asked to believe the unbelievable. Because, you see, they couldn't just wrap their minds around what Jesus had done for them. About what he had accomplished. Because it didn't look like what they expected from a Messiah. The resurrection didn't seem to fit into the stubborn mold of their traditions. It just wasn't the religion that they had in mind. And they didn't fully grasp the information that they were given or how to correctly respond to it. We read last week in Matthew 28, 8 that as the women headed back to town, that they were very frightened, but also filled with great joy as they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. 
So you have to picture they're, they're almost guilty, uh, giddy, or rather is what I meant to say, giddy, from the flood of confusion and, and relief. You know, it's that, it's that feeling you get when we're so sure that we know what's going to happen next. Like when I thought I was going to say giddy, but I said guilty. And then wham, out of nowhere, the unexpected happens, right? And you, you just sort of break out into a laugh, right? That's what we do. And that's not a bad thing. Because it's one of the ways that God has given us as a relief valve. In fact, I, I read an article by a lady named uh, Lois McElravey. Maybe you've heard of her. She's an author and motivational speaker, and she writes, When the unexpected or uncontrollable situations of daily life wreak havoc in our well-laid plans, it's a source of great stress. But she says if we're able to look for the moment of humor and find a way to laugh at it, we can diffuse a potentially <laughs> explosive situation. Because laughter is a pressure release valve, she says. And laughter activates, she says, the limbic system on our brain, and it helps us to do some more whole brain work. It helps us improve our mental clarity. And it relieves our stress. And we're able to realign our perspective. And she finishes the article by saying, the next time you're stressed out because of the unexpected or uncontrollable uh, circumstances, remember, on the keyboard of life, humor is your escape key. On the keyboard of life, humor is your escape key. Now, can you, can you imagine what it would be like to live in a world without laughter or without humor? Right, I can't. And anybody that's known me for more than half an hour knows I can't resist a good laugh. Right? Like when a, a lady named... Uh, Mrs. Dunn visited a new church one Sunday, and, and the pastor's sermon just seemed to go on and on and on until most of the congregation actually fell asleep. But eventually the, the service did end, and in an effort for her to be social and meet new people, she walked up to a really sleepy-looking gentleman, and she extended her hand and said, Hi, I'm Gladys Dunn. <laughs> and of course, you know the punchline. You got it already. Yeah, the man said, you're not the only one, lady. I'm glad it's done, too. <laughs> now, I gotta, what, you're beating me to my jokes, so I, have to, I guess I'm going to have to get some better material. But it's good to be able to laugh in church, right? And if a good and healthy sense of humor is a gift from God, as surely it is, and if we are made in God's image, as we definitely are, I don't believe it's wrong to assume that God himself has a sense of humor. Because joy and laughter are mentioned all throughout the scriptures. Right? Psalm chapter 2, verse 4 says, The one who sits in heaven laughs. Proverbs 17, 22 says, A cheerful heart is good medicine. John 16, 33 says, Be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And that's the message of the gospel. The message of the Son of God who returns from the grave and fills his people with an inner peace so compelling that even death can't steal our joy now. Because, brothers and sisters, on Easter Sunday, God had the last laugh after all, didn't he? I mean, picture it with me. So you've got, on the one hand, you've got Caiaphas and the high priest and all of his crowd, and, and on the other hand, you've got Pilate and, and Herod and all of their Roman crowd, and they're sitting very smugly in this ridiculous state of self-congratulation over the death of Jesus, thinking that they've done their religious and their civic duty by disposing once and for all of a man they considered a very dangerous troublemaker. 
And now with him safely dead, they can concentrate once more on the things that really mattered to them, the things they had dedicated their lives to, like lining their pockets and making sure that they stayed in power. But behind their back, without them even having the slightest inkling of what was going on, their actions and their participation in the death of our Lord had a big hand in bringing about the thing that they feared the most, and that was the triumph of Jesus. So now the joke, as it were, was on them. And our disciples, our brothers and sisters, the disciples that day, who were hiding in fear and in sadness, are about to receive a surprise guest that will put a smile on their face that nothing in the world could ever wipe away. And that's the story from our lectionary text today that we pick up in John chapter 20. So hear the words of the true and living God. John writes, That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. And they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. One of the twelve disciples, Thomas, was not with the others when Jesus came. And they told him, we've seen the Lord. He replied, I won't believe it. I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands and put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again. And this time, Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Thomas exclaimed, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me, but blessed are those who believe without seeing me. And the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous things signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book, but these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by dwelling in him, you will have life by the power of his name. Because you see, when Jesus shows up, everything changes. When Jesus shows up, he brings peace and he brings joy with him. And when Jesus shows up, he brings you a new perspective on things that you thought that you already knew. Kind of like a a new pastor who moved to a brand new town and he went out one day to visit his parishioners and and everything was going great until he came upon this one little house behind a, a beautiful, neat little garden. And it was really obvious that someone was home, but no one came to the door even after he knocked and knocked and knocked several times. So finally he took out his card. He wrote on the back of the card, Revelation 3.20, and slipped it under the door. Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. So now the next Sunday, the, the deacons are counting the collection, and they found the pastor's card, and they gave it back to him. And He took it, but he's still confused as why someone would bother to return his card until he saw that above his message of Revelation 3.20 was a notation from that homeowner that said Genesis 3.10, which the pastor looked up only to find written 
I heard thy voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. <laughs> Sorry, that one was really bad. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, until the resurrection, the disciples were pretty confused, too, weren't they? They didn't really understand exactly what was going on. They were scared, and they didn't completely understand nor fully believe in Jesus' physical bodily return. And now today, here he is. Jesus is here, and he spoke to the disciples, and he showed them the wounds in his hands and in his side, and they're filled with joy. How could they not be? They had seen Jesus crucified. They had seen his body placed in a tomb. They had seen him wrapped in a burial shroud. And now, seeing Jesus, they realize death is not the end. Just imagine how they felt. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Surprised by Joy, gives a good description of the feeling and the emotion I'm getting at here. He writes, It is the mind-blowing, heart-stopping, skin-prickling, lung-filled joy of knowing in that instant a unity with God and feeling a solid assurance that God is in charge and that Jesus is alive, surprising us with joy. And you know, and joy and, and holy laughter are right at the heart of Easter. You know, I started out today by pointing out that folks that know me know that I love to laugh, but there actually is a very strong theological link between the season of Easter and laughter. And there's ample evidence that in the early days of the church, the Easter sermon often began with a joke. That's really true. But you know, in our day, somehow we have the misguided notion that we have to walk around with a long face and a somber demeanor to be a Christian, right? Like I told the folks in, in Bible study, you know, there's lots of Christians that I know that like to walk around and look like the, the photo in their driver's license, right? But clearly that was not the case in the very beginning because our early church fathers focused on the, the fact that the disciples must have been so surprised and so happy by seeing their risen friend and master, our Lord Jesus, appearing there alive, that they would have been ecstatic. They would have been filled with joy. Can you imagine? I mean, this is the resurrection appearance that we're talking about. I mean, how would you react if someone that you loved and had lost to death suddenly appeared in the room? I mean, do you, th do you think the apostles just gave Jesus a polite little applause? Right? I mean, come on, folks. This is the most incredible comeback story of all time. They would have jumped. They would have shouted. They would have... They would have danced around a little bit, and I will bet anything that they would have laughed right out loud at the joy and relief at seeing their master. Maybe you've done that sometime, right? Have you ever experienced an awful situation that turned out unexpectedly happy and you just burst out laughing? Has that ever happened to anybody? I think Vicki has told this story. I know I've told it once before uh, in Bible study, but the night that she and I arrived at the airport in Guatemala to bring the babies home, was the very first time that either of us had traveled outside of the country. And we were immediately out of our element. But, you know, we navigated our way through customs and we got out to the sidewalk where we were supposed to meet the shuttle that was going to take us to the hotel. And the guy was there. He was, he was right up front with a big smile and, you know, a sign with the hotel logo on it. So I think we both relaxed for just a second. But then out of nowhere, what seemed like a whole army of people got out of the shuttle 
One took all of our luggage. The other one pushed Vicky's wheelchair to the vehicle, and then someone else physically picked her up and set her on the front seat, leaving me standing on the sidewalk, wondering whether we were being treated like visiting royalty or we had just been kidnapped. <laughs> and for a minute, we really didn't know which. And poor Vicky is just sitting in the van looking stunned. And but we both realized, okay, this has the hotel logo on it, so of course, you know, it has to be the right car. And, and I got in the van and sat beside her, but I could tell she was scared because not only was she physically shaking, but she was squeezing my hand so tightly that I didn't think it would ever recover. And, and we're just sitting there side by side with no one saying anything in the whole van until the silence became almost palpable. And then out of nowhere, she burst out laughing like a crazy person. I mean, just right out loud laughing because the jumble of intense fear and then hopeful relief of knowing that everything was going to be okay just kind of spilled out that way. You know, that's kind of the feeling that the disciples must have had when Jesus appeared in that upper room. It's a feeling that the early church fathers didn't want us to lose. They even had a name for it. In Latin, they called it Rhesus Pescalis. The German Protestants picked up that train of thought. They called it Osterlochen, but either way, it means the Easter laugh. And it's mentioned in the writings of the early church fathers and and our early theologians like St. Augustine and John Chrysostom. And and that theme of joy and holy laughter that the resurrection of Jesus has inspired has passed its way down through our Protestant Reformation. In fact, Martin Luther wrote, God is not a God of sadness, but the God of this world the devil is. Christ is a God of joy, and it is pleasing to our dear God whenever one rejoices or laughs from the bottom of their heart. I like that. That's why in the early centuries of Christianity, Easter celebrations went on for days, sometimes for the whole week. One historian wrote, in the early days of Christianity, all of Easter week was one continuous feast, a week of intense happiness and spiritual joy. And it spawned the celebration of Easter Monday that remains a legal holiday in many European countries. It's also called uh, Bright Sunday or Holy Sunday. And some Methodists and Presbyterians Uh, And he writes, other Protestant churches have begun over the last 50 years or so to celebrate it here in the U.S. on the Sunday after Easter. This is our second year doing it. And this happens because recognizing, as the early church did, that our worship should be characterized by gladness and joy in the Lord. And I'm so glad that we have that here in this church. Because I haven't got fired for telling jokes yet. Sorry, Mary. (laughs) Maybe, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll lose my secretary over that one. I don't know. But, right. But I don't think I've ever attended a church where we have laughed and carried on and had so much fun, but at the same time have seen the Spirit move through a group in such a mighty way. But, you know, I think we can go further than that and have that kind of joy in our individual lives, too. I know in my own life, and I'm sure in yours, it's, it's easy sometimes, a lot easier to be filled with joy and gladness when we're all here in the sanctuary and we're all together. But then you start to kind of lose that as you go about your weekly grind, don't you? With your own private worries, and you know, worries over the state of your finances or of your health or the circumstances of the world. But it doesn't have to be that way. Because as King Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes, there is a time for everything. Somebody told me that recently. There's a time for everything. There's a time to laugh. And I'm going to suggest to you that that time is now. The time to laugh at all of those things that snuff out our joy. 
to laugh at all the things that pretend to be all-powerful, like the cruelty and the madness of this world, and most especially, most especially to laugh at death. Not because we have on rose-colored glasses, not because we don't care about the sufferings of the world, not because we're immune from personal trials, but because Jesus sweeps all of those away with the wonderful joy of the promise of the resurrection. Because at the cross and and at at the resurrection, Jesus fought a battle on our behalf and defeated the powers of evil that held us bondage. And in his victory, that last enemy of the human race is defeated. Making Easter into God's supreme joke over the powers of death. Because now, the Jesus whom the disciples had all mourned as dead is not only alive again, but his spirit had so infused them that now they could face anything, anything that life threw their way. In other words, in raising Jesus, God had the last laugh. And that old proverb says, he who laughs last, laughs best, right? And I realize that not many of us were brought up to believe that church was a place of laughter. Tears maybe, but not laughter. One writer actually said, we Protestants usually appear to have not only been washed in the blood, but starched completely stiff in it too. (laughs) And we're so deadly serious so much of the time, though, that we can actually make Christianity seem more like a burden than a blessing. And brothers and sisters, the world out there is watching. I think it was the French skeptic Voltaire who said, you Christians are going to have to look a lot more happy to be redeemed if you expect me to believe in your Redeemer. And I think he had a point. Now, certainly our faith is serious, and the message of the cross is no joke, but at the same time as followers of Jesus, we can view the pain of the cross through the lens of the resurrection. And let it be for us a holy joy a sanctified excitement, an ecstatic Osterlochen, and let our face look like we love God and that we're genuinely happy for what he's done for us. And how much more inviting would our worship services be to outsiders if we embodied this every week? And to help them hear God's holy laughter, but we have to hear it first. So do you hear it? Do you hear the laughter of God? Do you hear the laughter of God rumbling through the universe and and hear those unseen choirs of angels that praise him continuously, and sing hosannas in exultation while galaxies whirl in its joyous dance. Because, you know, you and I have a standing invitation to God's celebration party, to his wedding banquet, to that joyous feast of the Lord. And if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, as Lord of your life, your place at that table is ready and waiting for you. One author put it like this, we need not fear for the last enemy is now defeated. He said, we need not deny that we are dying for now it's lost its threat over us. We need not deny that we are getting older for every day leads us closer to joining Christ in his victory that await us, all of us, in heaven. Revelation 21, 4 says, in that day God will wipe away all tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Did you catch that last phrase? You know, when we talk about someone dying, we usually say that they've passed away, right? But when we get to the end of the Bible, to the conclusion of the story, John tells us now that in Christ, death has passed away. And now we have hope that because he lives, we will live too. The hope that says we don't have to dwell on our past or or struggle with our present, or fear the future. 
and the hope that says that we can laugh even in the Easter season, especially in the Easter season, because brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ is alive. And in witness to that, we're going to invite our baptism candidate to come up front. Beloved, our Lord Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Remember also all of us, all of us who have been baptized into Christ are baptized into his death. And we have been buried through him in baptism so that just as Christ was raised from death to glory, so we too should walk in newness of life. In baptism, God claims us and seals us to show us that we belong to him. By water and the Holy Spirit, we're made members of the church, the mystical body of Christ, and joined to him in ministry, love, and peace. So now, obeying the words of our Lord and confident of his promises, we baptize those whom he has called. So, Linda, I ask you, trusting in the gracious mercy of God, do you turn from the ways of sin in your life and renounce evil and its power in the world? Do you accept and turn to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, trusting in him alone through grace to save you? Will you be Christ's faithful disciple, obeying the word and seeking his will? So relying now on your confession, I ask you, do you believe in the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Do you believe that God has revealed himself fully and decisively in the Holy Scriptures consisting of the Old and New Testament? Do you believe there's only one way to salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ? Do you believe in the sanctity of human life based on our creation in the image of God and our election by him for service in the kingdom that leads us to respectfully affirm the sanctity of life at every stage? Do you believe in the biblical guidelines for human sexuality and that marriage is the union only of one man and one woman in fidelity and holiness in marriage and chastity outside of marriage for the sake of the kingdom? And do you believe that the mission of this church is to spread the good news of the gospel of salvation in every word and deed? Let's pray together. Eternal and gracious God, since the beginning of creation, you have nourished and sustained all living things with water. In the time of Noah, you destroyed evil by the waters of the flood and saved a remnant for yourself. At the Exodus, you led your people Israel through the waters of the sea and into the land of promise. And we praise you, Lord, that in sending your son, Jesus, who was baptized for our sake in the waters of the Jordan, and you confirmed him as your Christ. We praise you, Father, that in baptism we receive your Holy Spirit who teaches us and leads us into all truth, filling us with a variety of gifts that we can proclaim the gospel to all nations and serve you as a royal kingdom of priests. So now we ask you, Lord, to pour out your Spirit upon us and upon this water, that this font may be a place of new birth. May all who now pass through these waters be delivered from death to life, from bondage to freedom, from sin to righteousness. Find Linda in the household of faith, guard her from evil, and strengthen her, Lord, to serve you with joy and gladness all the days of her life. Amen. My dear sister Linda, I baptize you in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Father God, uphold and defend your servant, Linda, by your Holy Spirit, give her the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and grant her, Father, joy in your presence, both now and forever. 
Amen. Congratulations. <laughs> Would you please stand for the Apostles' Creed and for our closing hymn? Brothers and sisters, let's confess what we believe. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. <laughs>